second here. <laughs> yeah, there okay, you go. He's coming back on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why it's also why I said about the video and audio. It's best to have both for these kinds of things. Oh, okay. You want me to get presentable then, so no, I can no, be on video? Is that no, what you're no, telling no. me? No, 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 no. I'm just saying about the the technical. It's so sweaty here. You're not gonna like what you no, see. No, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> <sighs> um, do you want me to repeat any of that, or do you want me to just keep going? What would you like me to do? Um, yeah, just keep it going. I can play around with the tape after we do this. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I was just saying, I guess what keeps me going around all of this is um, just an inherent coherence of nature. And when you get people in alignment with nature, that just happens. And left our own devices in, you know, industrialized, modern, you know, technological world, we can become dysregulated because of the overstimulation and dysregulating systems like technology and traffic and conflict and war and all these other things that are just not coherent for the nervous system, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And what, what sort of, uh, do you use any specific t uh, modalities and techniques to help people regulate them, uh, their nervous system, would you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have a favorite. Um, my favorite is um, somatic experiencing through the modality of um, Peter Levine, and right. I was trained by Steve Hopkinson. So uh, who's the that's, Hopkinson? That's, Steve Hopkinson was, is kind of like um, Peter Levine's protege. Okay. So he's, um, you know, he's kind of taken Peter Levine's work and kind of spun off into his own, um, largely the same modality, but with its own new layers of you know, looking at the nervous system and, and somatic, reg, you know, right. using the body to regulate the, the emotions and the thoughts and all of that. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if you, I wanted to, if you don't know him, I'd like to maybe connect you, you to him. This a friend of mine that lives in Costa Rica, that his name's Ross McKenzie. Uh, you ever heard of him before? No, I haven't. But, um, well, he's from uh, Toronto originally, and he has this interesting... Um, story that he created this movie about his life called Bipolarized, that he was uh, diagnosed with bipolar in his early 20s, and he was taking lithium for, uh, for many years, and he just found that it, was, it caused all, the, all these horrible side effects, and he sort of went on this holistic healing journey, and he uh, sort of wound up in Costa Rica, and he got help to detox himself off the lithium, and uh, he met his, um, now his wife, and he lives here now, and he's working on opening up a holistic healing center somewhere in Costa Rica. I forget the specific area. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, so, yeah, but anyway, I guess what made me also think about it is uh, in his movie, that uh, Peter Levine was one of the, like he sort of documents his journey with different healers and different gurus and stuff. And he, uh, he had Peter Levine fe featured in the movie and he went out to see him in California. Cool. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, he's he's brilliant, and I think it's what's really cool is that you know somatic somatic modalities of therapy are gaining momentum. You know, right now it's it's kind of the buzzword in trauma therapy and in yeah. a lot of therapy, and which is so wonderful because we're finally looking at mental health through also through a scientific lens and also through a nervous system lens. Because really, I'm finding that even though I got trained in quote-unquote trauma therapy, it's effective with all my clients. It's effective with depression, with bipolar, with, you know, whatever it might be, um, because I'm looking at them in their nervous system cycles, you know, and whether they're 
you know, in a, in a place of um, hypervigilance and sympathetic arousal most of the time and then crashing into disassociation right. or maybe they're slightly disassociated all of the time and they can't even get an ebb and flow of sympathetic and parasympathetic, you know, so they, they're just, they're, they're flatlined. You know, we right. see students that come into to pure life as failure to launch generation that is just like dragon. They're like zombies, mm-hmm. you know, they're just have no life energy to them. Um, and so you, you put, you put them in the wilderness, whether they're, hypervigilant or really um, unresponsive and and they start to get regulated and and of course there's all sorts of programs and things that we implement to facilitate health as well drinking water eating well you know sleeping you know the, the attention to diet social interaction all of these other things that also help regulate the body um, so yeah it's not just the wilderness yeah <laughs> Yeah, watching that process is really is really fascinating too, and and <clears throat> you know it's you, you see the that zombie look on some of our clients' faces when they arrive, and you know one week goes by and they're still sort of semi zombie, you know mostly zombie when they come back after their first week out, you know doing wilderness adventure activities, and then Rachel, you can tell me your opinion, but I always notice it's about week two to three when all mm-hmm. of a sudden the lights go on. Their mm-hmm. face changes, the the color mm-hmm. in their skin, the look in their their eyes. They engage. They they start smiling. They start looking at you, and and like Rachel says, there's a combination of things. Uh, but the research on what nature is doing in that process in in stabilizing cortisol levels and and all of these these chemicals that we were born with that make us you know fight or flight and and and. But, you know, in the average American, these, these chemicals are running in our body every day, mm-hmm. chronically, and a chance to not just be in nature, but to get out and exercise and, and work those chemicals out and stabilize. It's really, it's really fun to see, and it's very, it's very obvious when it happens. That's cool. Yeah, that, that, that's, I imagine that is a wonderful thing. I, I, uh, I want to ma- 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 make a point. I can hear the the birds chirping in the background. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We, we yeah. get used to these sounds, and they're just normal to us, but it's funny. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend yesterday, and he's like, man, just hearing that bird chirp, I feel tropical even for a few minutes. So before the interview's over, I'll have to show you the look outside my window here. Yeah. It's spectacular. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Well, well, part of what I, what I heard from uh, listening to hear you speak about the experience is that all the, all the programs that I've been a part of, uh, like um, there's one uh, that I really like, the population, the teenagers, there's this teenage drug rehab program in, in Fort Lauderdale. But just the way it runs, I feel the way they run the program, I feel it reinforces that whole zombie-like uh, kind of behavior and. and I mean, I really think that, sure. that sounds great that they're able to to sort of shift their consciousness and more of um, get in touch with the rhythm of you know the natural rhythms of, of nature rather than just this. this yeah, um, it, yeah, you know. it makes me think of um, you know what's largely wrong with a lot of our systems right now is because people are controlled and yes. confined, and when they're controlled and confined. That um, that messes with your um, messes with your mental health, and it also is 
is counterintuitive for adolescents and young adults when they're trying to b- break into their independence. And mm-hmm. so what the wilderness provides is a natural container. You know, there's natural consequences. You know, if you don't, if you don't take care of yourself, it's going to directly impact the group and you immediately. Um, for example, if you don't put sunscreen on or if you don't drink your water or if you don't participate in group cooking in this communi- communal environment, um, your, your community is going to be upset with you because you're sunburned and they can't go out on the activity the next day. Right. You know, so it's these, it's these, it's just a way of containment where you're not controlling the person that as much of it as possible is natural consequences. And so, and so it really just gives them to, a choice to either be part of their own solution and part of the group solution or to go against the grain. And it's just so obvious and it's, so much more effective than parents saying, I'm taking away your cell phone, taking away your car, because they just see that as a, a perceived, you know, controlling their life, which, which makes their mental illness even worse. Well, right, and, you know? and I feel it, it sort of reinforces some of those other things you, you were mentioning before about when you, when you start threatening people and stuff, it just sort of further activates that, sympa- that overly active sympathetic uh, nervous system and which uh, you know creates uh, more problems upstream and uh, but another thing I wanted to ask about is I wonder if you could speak about your uh, your sort of the way you interact with staff members in your program because I I find also uh, a lot of the more traditional programs that that uh, that they also um, that the staff interact with each other in a sort of a hostile kind of way then it sort of it Again, it sort of it reinforces what's going on with the clients and, and, and exacerbates things. Mm, yeah. Um, our staff are the backbone of our program, for sure. Um, there's no doubt about that. The people that we have as staff are exceptional human beings because they not only hold a safety container in a rugged environment, Right. From rafting to surfing to backpacking to, you know, high ropes and, you know, all sorts of different things. They also hold the emotional container 24 hours a day, seven days a week for two weeks at a time, usually. So they're pretty exceptional people. And so um, my my point of view with them is if you can last more than a couple months, you're by definition a pretty amazing person. Um, (laughs) And so whatever we can do to support you. Um, and feel help you feel that you're growing and learning in this role um, is amazing. I was a field staff myself back before grad school, and it's definitely one of the most challenging and rewarding jobs I've ever done. Um, and uh, it's life-changing for sure because, as you know, being around multiple people with mental illness, they'll break your ego down and they'll reflect to you your weak parts. So it's also signing up for self-improvement. It's not just a job. It's also signing up for an incredible um, personal evolution, you know? Right. But, but I feel that there's that, um, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I guess what I was specifically talking about is that, that's that idea of the natural consequences. I feel, I, I think from my perspective, a lot of the, gotcha. the things that are, that are, are, are destructive about the traditional mental health type systems is they, is that, mm-hmm. uh, the way, I mean, it, it's, there's that parallel process where the staff, they're not doing something right or, or they don't, someone doesn't agree mm-hmm. with them. They start threatening them and, and then that sort of, yeah. you threat, you threaten somebody yeah. that. That's going to uh, activate their uh, their their own fight or flight system and 
Certainly. Oh, yeah. I I hear what you're saying. Yeah, 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 I hear what you're saying. Um, So we adhere largely to the choice model, like uh the Arbinger choice model. I'm not not sure if you are aware of that, but it's about, um, yeah, it's about, you know, that that our students never feel controlled, that they always have a choice. Right. The other option might be really crappy, though. So you can either, you know, comply and stop banging your head against the tree or you're probably going to have to leave our program within a couple of days. So right. it's never a you have to. It's always choice. You know, we're, we. It's always a choice. It's always a this is what you because they're especially since they're adults. Yeah. You know, unless they're really hurting themselves or someone else. You know, we're going to let them. You know, choose their own path. Right. You know, and and if that means further self destruction, then then that's their choice. We're not going to. But we're certainly going to try to talk them out of it. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and like, again, I mean, I think to me, one of the, 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 the destructive things about the whole traditional systems is a lot of them are just based on coercion and using force to get people to change. And, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming just from interacting with you guys that you don't, you don't believe in that and, and uh, that, yeah, I, I think it's that most people really don't want to hurt themselves if they... They want to see that you care about them and that kind of thing. And I, I was, you know, wondering what, what your take is yeah. on that. Yeah. So we, so we, we definitely, we, we use that relational model. Um, you know, us, our, our program in, in Costa Rica with young adults, we're, we've got young adults that are flying into a foreign country saying, I'm, I'm here to get help. Right. Right. Now, they might get a lot of influence from their parents. And a lot of times there is a... A hey, you either need to go get help, or or we you can't stay on in our basement on our couch for the rest right. of your life, or 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 things like that. And so some of them come reluctantly, but they come, and and they they say that that relational model is just just like we're talking about right now is that that you know instead of sitting in front of you and across from you and and arguing with you, we're going to sit down in the dirt next to you. And we're going to say, hey, I get it. This is a frustrating experience for you. Uh, we, we are not going to punish you or reward you for your behaviors. We have to, you know, we have to maintain a safe, emotionally safe, and, uh, and a physically safe environment for the rest of our milieu. But it's not like, hey, do this and we'll give you, you know, M&Ms at the end of the week. Right. Um, it's, it's more like, you know, do this because uh, that's what adults adults that are functioning in society are doing and and it, it, it it's a good thing for your life and getting into that motion motivational interviewing and that that process of of really helping them find their their own motivation um it, you know and, and then nature like we're coming full circle nature does the <laughs> nature does a lot of the disciplining <laughs> you know in 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 this setting and it you know, and Rachel can speak to this, it gives the therapists a lot to work with. And a lot, you know, a lot of, oh, wow, you got, you, you got really sunburned, you know, you know, that's, that's a safety issue, obviously a huge concern on, on our part. But, but at some point, we can say, here's your hat, here's, here's a jacket, here's a long sleeve shirt, here's sunscreen, here's everything. And uh, a young adult in our program may say, you know, F you, I'm not doing it. Right now, if that happened for too long of a period, we may sit down and say, we don't know if you're appropriate for our program because of where we are and safety issues. But let's say it's just one day. 
they come home sunburned and they get back to base camp and that's where Rachel steps in and goes, tell me about your sunburn. Uh, you know, well, yeah, they told me to put it on and I don't like to do what people tell me. And then, and there, there begins the conversation, right? And how many, like about how many, uh, young adults do you have at one time? We, we averaged last year 13 and at any given time we're, we're somewhere around, you know, 13. We have 16 beds uh, at this point. I say beds, 16, uh, sleeping pads. (laughs) <laughs> but but yeah that's that's kind of where we have her well i was wondering if rachel you ever, yeah I'll, 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 I'll you go ahead well no, yeah, there's you go this ahead. movie uh since you're from uh you said you lived in oregon at one time um uh there's i don't know if you ever heard of this movie called paper tigers have you ever heard of it no i haven't but um yeah it's this movie that uh, documented the first trauma informed high school that was actually in Walla Walla Washington and I like the name pa- have you ever heard of the concept paper tigers the the uh, concept nope. of it? basically it's this idea no, that um someone who's experienced trauma is hyper vigilant to threats in their environment and they generally certainly and generally mm-hmm. that they th- they you know they they're basically um, most of the threats are not real tigers or paper tiger. That's the basic concept of it. But gotcha. But in the movie, this movie was um, this particular high school that took like the the worst kids, the worst behavioral problems in the in the uh, in, in the area, and they adopted more of a trauma informed approach and just had a uh, mark remarkable turnaround in the, the the performance of the kids and going to college and decrease in suspensions oh, wow. and they. One of the things it talked about was basically the kind of concept, kind of like what you were saying that, well, none, well, basically the idea is that if it, like a teacher, if a kid would uh, be pissed off and says, fuck you to the, the teacher, that initially that would be like an automatic suspension and, and they wouldn't, that would be it. But with this other approach, it's more that, that they would sort of sit the kid down and ask him what's going on. Mm-hmm. They found that they're like, their the kid's father was an alcoholic and, beating the kid, yeah. beating the mom, and there are other things going on that the behavior, you know, wasn't sure. necessarily related to even to the teacher. It was just that he just couldn't regulate his uh, nervous system, like you were saying before. Absolutely, and sometimes opposition is a really good sign for a traumatized person because they're reengaging with the fight or flight. Right. And trauma, you know, when people are trying to reorganize their trauma and their nervous system, they have to, you know, sympathetic arousal is part of it. And so if we shut people down when they're oppositional, we're not getting to have that conversation. We're not finding out what's on the other side of that pain, you know. Right. And so the, the knife edge that we have to ride is that when we have a student that's acting out and really putting themselves or the group at an emotional or physical risk, it's can we contain them um, and hold them in their experience long enough for them to stabilized and usually we know that within the first month and fortunately we're pretty unique as far as wilderness therapy programs go because we're so small and custom tailored um we can take a high we can we try not to get too dysregulated people because we interface with the public so often but if we do end up with someone who's highly dysregulated and combative um we can take them on a solo journey for a week and they can have a variety of different types of experiences that really hold them and that don't push back against them, but hold them in that intensity. And whether it means that they need to hike 
for a week at a full-blown, you know, Mach 10 across the jungle for a week or whether they need to sit in the nurturing environment of a cultural homestay in a farm up in the mountains, either way, we can hold that person through that intensity as they're trying to stabilize. And we've seen that play out with a number of our students, you know, so many. I would say uh, uh, probably a quarter of our students, maybe a fifth, have some sort of solo week because they need it. (laughs) Maybe it's a little less than that. Solo week, like where where it's custom tailored to meet their needs, to where they're they're taken out of the milieu so that they don't damage themselves or other people. They don't damage the group culture, which is so important to keep the program momentum going, Um, but also so that they don't blow out and give up. How yeah. long have you been uh, uh, working at Pure Life? Uh, about two years now. And you came from Oregon? Yeah. I was living in Utah before I moved down Utah. here for another wilderness program. Yeah, that seems to be like one of the, the one of the meccas for it in uh, Utah. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> certainly is. <laughs> yeah. We were, we were really lucky. I'll jump in, Jeff, uh, when we opened the program to, to get Rachel. She's yeah. a very well-respected wilderness therapist. Yeah, I, great can, I mean, I can tell from talking to her, she knows, definitely knows a lot about trauma. I'm glad you, uh, you suggested having her, her, us talk. Yeah, yeah, she's she's the trauma expert. And Rachel, you can probably inform us. She, she's she, You've done a lot more certifications and some additional trainings with respect to trauma, right? Yeah, that's correct. I've done the, the three-year certification with um, that I finished while I was at Pure Life. Um, with, uh, you know, Peter Levine's somatic experiencing program. I also did some work with um, a trauma institute out in West Virginia um, that incorporates uh, internal family systems. Uh, kind of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and art therapy and a couple other modalities. So, um, so yeah, but I, I mean, somatic experiencing I find to be the most effective and every, but the more tools in my tool belt, the better, you know, for sure. But what about, I mean, I feel a lot of these indigenous kind of practices are, are good for trauma, like dr- drumming and dancing and, and singing and all. Just that anything that gets you in that repetitive rhythm, I think, can be effective for it, too. Repetitive rhythm, and certainly there's something to be said for um, right, brain, right brain, left brain crossover and incorporating, you know, the, the physiology and the brain together, you know, because if you're just sitting and talking about your trauma, then you can go into overwhelm so much easier. But if you're moving and and using the creative parts of your brain and things like rhythm, like you're talking about, then there's so much, there's such a greater opportunity for synthesis and coherence in your body, you know, and in your nervous system. And so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could be such a, you know, it's a little bit of a controversial subject. If you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. But I'm curious your, if either of you have a perspective on it regarding this, uh, because I know it's big in Costa Rica, the, the ayahuasca and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, certainly. I'll weigh in on that. Um, you know, I think that someone without mental health issues um you know, can play with those drugs and probably, you know, experience different ways of consciousness. But it's, it's unanimously my recommendation that you don't play with fire. You already have 
a dysregulated nervous system. You don't know how this drug is going to affect you. You could shoot yourself out of the cannon unknowingly. And I've seen clients who've right. done that, who've been on the brink of schizophrenia and they, they keep taking drugs and they keep getting more and more dysregulated, but they're under this illusion that they're enlightened, you know? And so it's, um, it's, it's very, I usually, no, not usually. I always recommend stay away from drugs. I say go natural, go pure, drink water, exercise, right. you know, go back to the basics of what is the building blocks of a healthy body and mind. Well, I mean, the, you know, the basics are often the most effective, but I mean, we're always, I mean, myself included, we're always looking for the next, you know, the next best thing uh-huh. to, uh, but it's, you can't really go wrong with the basics. I, I do agree with that. Yeah, uh, I see. Yeah. I see those. I see those sort of drugs as a a shortcut and b uh, incre- potentially incredibly damaging. Right. But yeah. I mean, since we we entered this conversation a little bit, I mean that's part of one of one of my interests about uh, well the larger conversation, like since you mentioned the schizophrenia and all that, that. I mean, the, the antipsychotics are some of the most dangerous drugs there are, and I mean, if there's a lot of debate, <laughs> uh, debate about this, and I mean, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I like to take more of a trauma environment perspective, but I mean, there's that whole, been, it's been sold for a long time that like schizophrenia is a brain disorder and a, a brain uh, disease, and why, you know, you think about it in that way, why would you give somebody the most damaging, we know that, that the antipsychotics are some of the most toxic drugs and they cause brain damage if somebody has a, yeah. already has a, a I brain totally disease. agree and I'm yeah <laughs> I'm a total purist with drugs across the board yeah. um, I think that you know some you know drugs at some point in a person's life can really help them through sure. a phase Crisis. but I don't subscribe to um I don't subscribe to long-term um, medical, you know, psychological medications, even for schizophrenics, because I feel, I believe that it's treatable. And, and there's a lot of research showing with schizophrenics that it's not just a dysfunction um, of the brain. Usually there's early childhood trauma almost or birth always, trauma. Almost always. Almost always. Yeah. And so if you're really looking at a, a deeply, deeply rooted trauma and also an attachment issue and probably a genetic addiction to something really um damaging you know and so um yeah i'm i'm just i I realize i'm a little bit outside the norm and and these points of view but um i've worked a lot with yeah well but 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 you are but but there's a sort of a movement growing and and that's part of what i'm trying to do is trying to really try to get the message out some of the things you're saying out to the public and, and i found that talking to some of the people in power they don't want to hear these things they just have too much to lose but I think if you get them, right. uh, for a lot of these the negative practices to go on, they need buy-in from the public. So I'm really trying to get the message out to the public to change things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with people on the brink of schizophrenia in, you know, in, in wilderness programs. I've worked even with pure li- in pure life with uh-huh. students who gone unchecked would probably be diagnosed somewhere as, you know, is, is really mentally unstable. Right. And so I, I see significant steps backwards from diagnosis in wilderness, period. And people always ask me, well, what's the diagnosis? I right. say, well, I could give you something, but probably a month from now it's going to be different, you know, and that this needs to be a fluid assessment process. And, right. and so I always, hesit- I always hesitate to diagnose. And when I do diagnose, I under-diagnose because 
I'm under the assumption that they're going to continue to heal right. and get better. You know? Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm sure you encounter in your program because most of your uh, students or young adults are from the from the states, correct, or or even if the, or Canada. Yeah. And yeah. I, and um, I, f- I feel related to the diagnosis that that uh, there's, you know, the the parents and families are marketed to this idea about diagnosis, and and they, you know, I, I find from my experience being a therapist and other programs that they try to pull you into the therapist that you have to understand their diagnosis and. And have you encountered that or that you're, what I'm talking about? Oh, certainly. I mean, I think that when you've got someone that's going from one public institution to another, there's a moral obligation to have a diagnosis. So there's a continuity of care. Right. But when we have the privilege of working in a, in an industry where there is a continuity of care, where there's a hand handing off of the baton from one environment to another. And we work with consultants who are, with the client the entire way, usually the entire experience. And like, so, Jude, like Marcy and... Marcy and... Yeah, in, in yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, so because of that continuity of care, there's not as much, I don't see as much of a moral obligation to have someone's psychology, you know, simmered down to four or five different points. Instead, it's about the whole person and their life experience and, you know, what symptoms and, and what life struggles they're currently you know, facing. Um, not to say that I throw diagnosis out the window. I do see a place for them. But because of the rapid transformative nature of our work, it's just, you just can't, it's always changing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and usually for the better, which is fantastic. Yeah, one thing that I thought about that I wanted to mention, uh, um, I saw him in a, an addiction treatment program, but he went through a wilderness program, this one client that, and I, I would I'd imagine you would encounter these kinds of people a lot, or kids that have been adopted. Uh, do you see them in the... the uh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, and I found that they're particularly challenging with the whole attachment issues, uh, and I was wondering if yeah. you, know, you could speak to some of that, how wilderness can sure. be beneficial to them. Well, I mean, attachment, you know, insecure attachment and trauma are are our first cousins yeah, um, in, in the way they, in the way they present in a person. And so um, it's, it's largely what we've already been talking about this whole time is, you know, learning to trust again and learning to know that they're safe and learning to be comfortable in their environment from, from their deep core of, you know, connection. And, and that's compromised at, a, at birth. I believe, you know, if you ever heard, heard of the book, The Primal Wound, it kind of kind of explains the inexplainable around um, that initial uh, insecure attachment by, because of being taken from their mother. I've um, heard of it, but who, who wrote that? Uh, um, I have a No, nah, I forget. Okay, sorry. I could look it up yeah, while it we're talking. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, um, it, 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 it helps us understand, helps me and, and our, a lot of our parents understand you know, well, my kids had the perfect life. Why is he so right. messed up? Why is it's he so a, messed I feel up? It's, a lot, a lot of, it's still hard for them to really, um, I mean, to grab onto that. And I was trying to explain that to some of them, but it's... Yeah, it's yeah and, it's, and, and they take on a lot of guilt and, um, and shame as parents trying to understand what's going on. But, and they also you know, find that they express a lot of anger towards a kid, too. They can, yeah, yeah. which is, of course, not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, we see a lot of adopted kids in, in the wilderness therapy um, arena. Period, um, because they they have a hard time, 
you know, I mean, I guess I could fin- finish that sentence in a lot of different ways, but they're, they struggle. They struggle to know their identity. They struggle with this, um, this dysregulation and this um, lack of trust that they carry with them. Um, and they, they struggle with their identity and particularly, you know, the, the age that we work with when these adults are supposed to start their life, you know, in the outside world, they're like, oh God, I don't even know who I am. And I don't even know if I can take care of myself. And I don't even know who I am in my family system. And now all of a sudden I have to be a productive member of society in this economy that's not conducive to a person like me. Um, and so it's hard, you know, and we, we see a lot of people that hit the skids and, What's interesting about our population that's a little bit different than other wilderness therapy programs is we work with a high, a, a, a per, what seems to be a very high functioning population um, because they've maybe been a successful athlete or, you know, gotten into a prestigious college. But there's some of the, the this also the sickest clients that I've worked with because they're so well guarded. Their their mental illness has been so well protected. You know how many times I've said to parents, this you know this foundation has been crumbling for ten years and no one's seen it. You know because they have such. It's like the plight of the high functioning addicts. No one right. knows that the doctor is addicted to heroin. Right. You know it's like that's our students. No one knows because they're, they're, they've got something that's keeping them afloat. And then we get them when the house of cards falls down. <laughs> but yeah. I, I was wondering if you could talk about their, uh, how, how, like, uh, what happens after they, uh, complete the program, what, how that works. And... Sure. Um, Andrew, you want to, you want to answer that? <clears throat> yeah, sure. So most of our, most of our young adults in our program are working with, uh, you know, really qualified educational consultants that are starting this process with the family on the ground and are are sort of there to help the families transition and make those decisions. And so after, you know, uh, an appropriate amount of time when Rachel and the family, uh, Rachel's working with the family every week as well on phone calls, when Rachel and the family start, start getting to to the bottom of a lot of these issues and start making decisions. Okay, now what's next? They'll bring, uh, that's where the educational consultant will also be involved in that process. And so Rachel, the parents, the ed consultant, they will sort of come together and say, here are some options we're comfortable with. And, and they'll present those to our, to our clients. And, you know, there's different, Rachel can, can speak more to this. There's some clients that are very involved, some that are less involved and, some that are totally on board with a next step and most I'd say 60% will go to a 60 to 70% will go to a young adult transition program where they've got a lot, you know, a lot less, uh, containment than they have here in wilderness. Uh, and they're, they're taking steps to transition back with less and less and less structure into what would be a healthy adult life. Rach, does that cover it? You can kind of give some yeah. insight on uh, on what sure. uh, what your experience is on your end. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And just to kind of add some color to it, I think that you know these young adult transition programs are way more than just halfway houses. They're um, they're continuing with the experiential model and this diversifying your life model, mm-hmm. where they're not just going back to school full time. Usually, usually they're doing a mixture of volunteering, exercise. Um, support groups, art, um, you know, sports, you know, there's, there's this 
more um, adventure activities. Yeah, more outdoor things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's just that continuity of, yes, you need to start to be a productive member of society, but part of what keeps you healthy is by doing all of these really cool things in your life. Um, and so that's, that is in every single transition program that our students go to. And it's a little bit different in each place because there are different areas of the country and there are different levels of good care depending on, you know, the person's ability to be, you know, self-regulating and responsible. Um, but they're all fantastically innovative and in, interwoven with experiential therapies. What are some, name so of, uh, some names awful. of those types of programs? Um, uh, I would say we, you go for it, Andrew. What are our top places that we place at, you think, after here? Cascade Crest in, in Bend, Oregon, Living Well in Boulder, uh, Colorado. Dragonfly Transitions also outside of Bend. Um, some will go to uh, College Excel, Aim House, and you know there's some on the East Coast. One in particular called Foundation Foundation House. Um, there's there's to name a few. The cool thing is also is Rachel Rachel will be coordinating with that next program, talking to that therapist, and and that that transition is is calculated in terms of. Here's what we've done. Here's the work that's been done. Here's what to look for, and and here we go. There's this industry is very well networked. We're we're mm-hmm. it's a it's a small industry that is, you know, um, working together constantly on I forget handing her name. off. I forget her name. This other uh, Ed consultant that's in uh, Pittsburgh, and I just can't think of her name right now. I was wondering if you guys know her. I think. Um, I can't think of anyone in Pittsburgh. Uh, she has an but, office um, in Sarasota, Florida, too, and in Pittsburgh. But but I'll I'll, I'll pull it up later. But yeah, but that's interesting. Is it Amy Weinberger? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's who it. Is. No, I, actually, no. That's a different one. But I know her as well. But uh, yeah. Oh, okay. You know Amy Weinberger? Yeah. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. We've worked with Amy. Yeah. Um, so. So to give you an example of kind of this transition um, process, I'm working with a student right now who um, is considering a couple of the programs that Andrew just listed. But also, again, it's a choice. And we're looking at what her other options are. So if she were not to do that, also coaching the parents on what healthy boundaries are if she chooses to go against clinical recommendations. And, And coaching them on, okay, well, you can support her, but you can't fund her you know, dysfunctional way of living if that's the choice that she makes. And so a lot of this is parent coaching on healthy boundaries. So she has, you know, choice A, choice B, these really cool transition programs, or choice C, which is really striking out on her own, but really helping her think that through. So it's not a forced thing. It's a, you know, you have choices in your life, and this is what your parents are willing to provide, and this is how we can help you. Or, you know, this is another way that you can go in your life. Yeah, and what about um, you have students that end up staying in Costa Rica afterwards? Yeah, we, we well, not, not under, not, not outside of our care. We, okay. our, first, our first year we opened, uh, you know, a handful of our clients, along with their families, approached us and said, hey, they seem to be responding really well to the Costa Rica environment. Um, we need a month or two here or there before they go, go to this program or that program or back to school or something. 
And can they stay down there and do an internship or, or do something that's not in, you know, the Pure Life program? And so we created an extension program that we call Chitty Po. Chitty Po is, is, is a little hard to, uh, to say for a lot of people, but it's the highest peak in Costa Rica. And, and what we'll do is we'll offer a customized extension from 30, 60 to 90 days. We don't, we don't go beyond that usually. And they can do a local internships and do a stay with a local family, focus on something they want to focus on, whether it's organic gardening, uh, you know, um, guiding. Uh, we just had one one individual. He was a great guitar player, and he said, "I want I, I want to teach guitar lessons." Not that he wanted to take them, but he wanted to teach them. And so, we got we got somebody in the in the neighborhood in our program that was like, "I want guitar lessons," and that was part of his extension experience, where we're trying to help them give them enough structure, but also give them enough space to practice what, they, what they've what they been doing with us and managing their own time and doing those types of things, but being very close in case there's any problems um, or, or, you know, there to catch them if they fall. All right, well, thanks a lot. Yeah, have any other uh, sort of closing thoughts you want to uh, say? I think it's really exciting that this, the need and your desire to have this kind of in interview is even happening right now. It gives me a lot of hope for, for the mental health and, you know, physical health of our, um, of our generations coming. Yeah. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate talking to you and getting to know you, uh, today. Um, no, I, I really do feel there's sort of a shift in consciousness of a lot of people regarding this and, I feel like a lot of the mental health professionals tend to be a little bit slower to embrace it than a lot of the, the general public, but I, I see a lot of good things happening. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Jeff, I think from, you know, for me, yeah, thanks for the invite uh, to, to do this interview. It's fun to meet you in Florida, and it's fun to see people that, that have the same connection with adventure the outdoors nature and, and in our case even international travel and and all that that can do for an individual yeah. in in getting them healthy and creating healthy patterns for their life moving forward and the, the world we're growing up in and well th we're already grown up um yeah. the world our young adults and our adolescents are growing up in is is a totally different world than even we did you know these young adults that we're seeing i I, I'm guessing on your age that we're somewhere in the same the same age range, but I sent my first email when I was 19 years old at college, and I. I, I well, tell yeah, I'm, I'm, start, I, I'm a little uh, younger than yeah, but or or I got started with computers <laughs> a little earlier, but but it, but the speed is yeah. just um, yeah, it's 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 uh, so frenetic now with the the buzzing and yeah. the alerts and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we're, we're looking at this first generation that was raised with social media, raised with, you know, smartphones, raised with screens in their faces. And and I think on a larger scale, and you know, you guys are the therapists, but we're going to have, we're going to, have to address it on a large scale of how to regulate all of this and self-regulate as as it just continues to to grow so yeah related i'm glad i'm glad you brought that up uh the um yeah because it's changing our brain i mean i remember you you'd mentioned it in the, in the florida the your presentation in florida about all this screen time and it's 
I mean, I remember hearing something about Facebook that the, the developers at Facebook they try to tweak things constantly to make it more addicting, and it's uh, you know giving us all this stimulation. And I mean, the great thing about it is, I mean, it's it's like a tool like anything else that can be used for good or bad. Any any technology I see in that way, and it's enabling us to connect right now where we're thousands of miles apart, but but mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, it can definitely create a lot of um, yeah, it can lead to mental and physical issues uh, when it's not used properly. Yeah, definitely. So we're right, counting well, on your wonderful. therapists to get us through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and I and I hope to see more, um, you know, qualitative and quantitative research in this field in the future, um, so that we can bridge the gap back to public health. Um, yeah, and, uh, and I'm glad that you mentioned the public health because that's. I mean, that's one of the ways I've always liked to look at things from the larger picture, and I, and I really think it's... Um, there's this quote that I came across recently by this person, S. S. Kelly Howell. I think that something like that, S. Kelly Howell is the person's name. Weird. Kind of, but it's basically, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't uh, heal in isolation, that we heal in community. And I really feel Yeah, I love that. it. I love it. That's a great quote. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, I've got to buzz off. I've got another um, family call. Um, but thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks, Rach. All right. Bye-bye. Can I see the scenery that you're referring to, Andrew? Uh, 